1: Today, Chicago will elect a new mayor. The colorful and outspoken incumbent, Rahm Emanuel, is a former White House chief of staff. We chat with him and ask why he's stepping down, what he has and hasn't done for Chicago, and how his tenure might hold lessons for other cities. Last week, it started to look a lot more advantageous to have kids in Hungary. The country's prime minister has made a pile of promises to a shrinking demographic of young families none would work so well as taking a softer line on immigration. First up though... Starting tomorrow in Vietnam, North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un will meet with President Donald Trump for a second time.
2: We're going to have, uh, I think, a very interesting two and a half days in Vietnam. And we have a chance for the total
0: denuclearization of an area of the world that was very dangerous.
1: That may sound like a grand and concrete ambition, but there's some confusion as to what total denuclearization really means. It seems that since the pair first met in Singapore last June, Mr. Trump has lowered his sights a bit. Yesterday, he said he was not in a rush to denuclearization as long as North Korea does no more weapons testing. How much diplomatic progress has been made since that Singapore summit? And what do the two sides expect to achieve this time around?
3: In Singapore, Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump pledged to um, establish a permanent peace regime on the Korean peninsula and to achieve the full denuclearization of the peninsula. Um, But they didn't really agree on what that meant. For the past few months, progress on any of those goals has been hampered by the fact that they haven't been able to agree on the definitions of any of those things.
1: Our Seoul bureau chief, Lena Shipper, is in Vietnam ahead of the summit. Lena, what's the mood like in Vietnam?
3: Well, from what I could see on the road and from the airport, everybody's extremely excited. Or at least the Vietnamese government, we should say, is extremely excited. Um, There are a lot of American and North Korean flags lining the road. There are all sorts of LED displays saying, hello, welcome to Hanoi, city of peace. So they've clearly made an effort, even though they didn't have very much time to prepare
1: What about your sort of home bureau? What what has the feeling been in in Seoul?
3: In Seoul, the mood is much less excited than um, it was before the Singapore summit. So obviously, before Singapore, you had the the two inter-Korean summits that people were very moved by in South Korea because you had Kim Jong-un and um, Moon Jae-in shaking hands across the dividing line in the um, demilitarized zone. The border between North Korea and South Korea, and people were sort of very bullied and hopeful. Um, and this time, the mood was is a lot more subdued. I think people have much lower expectations than they did um, in the run-up to Singapore. Um, and not very much has happened for a few months, so there there is a lot more wait and see, I think, than it was last summer.
1: Big promises were made at the last meeting, but since then, not much has happened to fulfill them. What should the world expect this time around?
2: Well, I don't think we should expect too much.
1: Edward Carr is The Economist's deputy editor.
2: Um, But we have to see more than we saw from Singapore, which is really just a, a sort of handshake and a smile. So there are various things that people are talking about. Um, one is uh, an opening of liaison offices. At the moment, there's no formal diplomatic contact. So there could be an opening of liaison f- offices in each other's capitals. It may be that North Korea is willing to shut down temporarily or permanently its Yongbyon reactor where a lot of um, nuclear material has been created. It may be that they'll allow the inspection of uh, its test site, which it said it's closing. These sound like significant gestures, but they're really less significant than they they seem. One um, high-profile uh, North Korean called them like painting an old car for resale. These are really decrepit places and institutions that aren't particularly useful to the North again. And on the other side, um, in order even to get that far, the United States may have to relax some sanctions. Now, this is a, a long way from eliminating the North Korean nuclear threat, but it is a movement of, of some sort.
1: That is the, the, the pointed question. Do you believe that Mr. Kim would ever completely denuclearize?
2: I think it's unlikely, but you don't really have to listen to me. Both um, America's intelligence services and more recently senior military commander in Asia have both said they think it's unlikely that North Korea will give up all its nuclear weapons. Their assessment is it's much more likely that Korea is willing to give up some weapons in exchange for a relaxation of sanctions, a a recognition by the United States of the Kim regime. But Trump doesn't agree with that. I mean, he called his security services naive and told them that they were totally wrong and that um, there's a great deal to be had with North Korea, which he thinks has the opportunity to become one one of the fastest growing economies in the world, if only they tried.
1: So the discussion of denuclearization that came about during the Singapore meeting, what exactly does that mean?
2: Well, I think that's a big problem because each side means different things by complete denuclearization. The Americans mean getting rid of all North Korea's nuclear weapons in a verifiable fashion. The North Koreans, we think, mean getting rid of American troops as well as their own weapons. So it means getting rid of the entire threat to North Korea, which they would argue is the result of having U.S. troops in South Korea protected by the US nuclear umbrella. So both sides in Singapore were able to agree on this formula because it meant fundamentally different things to each of them. That at some point is going to have to be resolved.
1: This seems like a repeat of a situation the world's seen before, diplomatic attempts that result in North Korea getting concessions, but the West not getting the security that it's angling
2: for. That's possible. Certainly, it's what many people think. But there, there is a difference this time. Kim Jong-un, a relatively young man, around 30, would hope to have many decades in power. He has to think about what's what's the future. How can he survive for decades in power unless he has economic growth?
1: That's Mr. Kim's guarantee of maintaining power over decades.
2: Yes, I mean, the economy is small and not doing terribly well. It will be a long time before the economy can finance huge weapons expenditure. Even now, it devotes a massive share of GDP to buying weapons. But um, it's clear that it's the technological level its conventional weapons is pretty rudimentary. So it depends to defend itself against the uh, highly sophisticated weapons of its enemies or, or who it thinks is enemies in, in the region and the United States, the way it defends itself against those sophisticated weapons is with the nuclear deterrent.
1: Well, quite. I mean, how do we escape the feeling that North Korea is getting more and more of it, what it wants but n- never any moves on, on denuclearization?
2: I think that's a hard question to answer. One thing that has been gained is that there haven't been more tests so, there's some feeling that, for as long as the North doesn't test, then it's becoming slightly less dangerous. It's not completing the miniaturization of the warhead one hopes, and so there's a there's a feeling that perhaps it's less dangerous if it's not testing that's that's kind of some gain that the rest of the world is getting. But you're right, they have to think quite hard about how much they're willing to relax sanctions without seeing really concrete steps towards denuclearization. And, and the thing that's really key, I think, at some point, the North is going to have to come up with a complete inventory um, of everything that it has. And we, you know, you'll know that it's serious when the North has come up with this inventory. Until it does, we're just dancing around, really.
1: I mean, there is some sense that perhaps this is uh, perhaps a bit of theater on on both parts, right? On on Mr. Kim looking to to be seen to be getting concessions from the West, and Mr. Trump being seen to be uh, you know tackling an extremely thorny, long standing problem of diplomacy. Is it just theater?
2: Well, it's easy to make fun of some bits of it, of the Trumpian tweets and of Trump's uh, eagerness to be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. But I think there's something very serious at stake too. The first of these is that the North, Trump was warned, was a growing threat when he was coming into office. And we've seen uh, the cessation of tests and that's something that's really worth having. Um, The second is that it's unacceptable to have um, North Korea able to hit um, the United States with a nuclear-armed ICBM. No president can stand for that. And so there's something deadly serious here as well as the kind of grandstanding and the the style in which Trump does it. That's very Trumpian. But he is grappling with a fundamentally important issue for the security of the United States and for the security of the entire part of Asia.
1: Edward, thanks for your time. Thank you.
4: Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.
5: Mayors of big cities in America have to be larger than life. They're the head of these massively powerful, vibrant organizations and the best mayors, at least, are the ones who really fill that role to an extreme. Adam Roberts is our Midwest correspondent. Chicago is a vibrant place. It's one of those classic ideas of an American city that rolls out in front of you. And it's a city that has enormous problems as well. So, on the one hand, it's got booming economic growth, on the other hand, it's got rundown, violent, crime infected areas. And Chicago is notorious for having these very big, bold, sometimes uh, questionable mayors, sometimes just very colorful and strong mayors. And Rahm Emanuel, who's been there for the past eight years, is no exception. He's made his mark.
1: But today, Chicago will vote to elect a new mayor. After two terms in office, Mr. Emanuel surprised many by not seeking re election. Adam recently met him at his office in City Hall.
5: Rahm Emanuel is a figure who's been at the top of American politics for decades. Back in the 90s, he worked with Bill Clinton when he was president. Then he went on to work with Barack Obama. He comes across as rather brash. He's notorious for being fond of swearing. He can be confrontational.
1: And I think he's boastful. And why do you think he's decided not to run for another term?
5: If you ask the average Chicagoan today, they don't much like Rahm Emanuel. He's upset a lot of people in the city. If you're a black Chicagoan, you don't like what he did for the predominantly black areas where schools were closed. White Chicagoans probably like him more because he brought economic vitality to their part of town. But there's a lot of resentment that he didn't do more. It wasn't clear that he would be re-elected, and that's why he backed out of running again.
1: And when you interviewed him, how did he reflect on his time in office? How, How does he think he'll be remembered? He will want to be remembered as
5: someone who tried his
1: hardest. We never ever walked away from a challenge and put great political capital or risk.
5: His predecessors might have ducked things, let them grow into bigger problems, but he at least had the guts to try and attack
1: them. Short school day in America, dealt with it. No universal kindergarten for every child, dealt with it. Community college system with the worst graduation rate in America, dealt with it.
5: You can list any problem that you can think of with Chicago, and he will claim that he dealt with it. And so do you agree with that? Has he dealt with all, all of these problems? Well, I put it to him, for example, that he hadn't solved Chicago's fiscal problems. It hasn't got enough money in the bank to pay for all the things he it wants to it. do. And there's big problems to come. Well, yeah. well who solves nobody? Nobody. Nobody. To... He took offense at the question.
1: Nobody in public life solves anything. Mm. They improve it.
5: And he landed a sharp kick on my own foot.
1: If you're here to solve it, call me. Um, Well, you mentioned Chicago's fiscal problems there. At the risk of, of getting another kick, how would you describe Mr. Emanuel's performance when it comes to the economy? He didn't really make a big effort to sort out those fiscal problems, the need to raise
5: more taxes early on. On the other hand, he did focus on getting the economy to be whirring along and strong. So he avoided the disaster that Detroit fell into, for example. So Chicago is in a much better place today than it was 10 years ago. You can see how many buildings are going up. All those corporate headquarters, like McDonald's, that are now moving to Chicago. There's far more jobs than ever. Lots of investment coming in. You've got universities that are thriving, and you can definitely give the mayor some credit for that.
1: And so, you think those are, are real fundamental changes to to the city that, that they will they will stick?
5: A lot of what he's done should stick. Those businesses coming into the city will probably stay. The fact you've got better education is going to help the city in the long run. Back when he started as mayor, only about half of the children sitting at school actually graduated. By the time he leaves, it'll be nearer to 80%, so a real improvement on that score. On the other hand, he hasn't dealt with poverty in the worst areas of the city. It has these big areas of blight because of violence. You compare the murder rates of Chicago against the other big cities in America. And New York and Los Angeles have done a much better job of bringing down the worst sorts of crime than Chicago has managed to do. The city is also deeply divided on racial lines. As someone who lived in Africa, I worked in and lived in Johannesburg for several years. There's something in Chicago that's quite familiar to me. Uh, It's an equally divided city in some ways. You can be out in the African-American dominated poor areas and look up and see the skyscrapers of the booming downtown, very close to where you are, and realize how these worlds, though very close, are very,
1: very far apart. And so what did Mr. Emmanuel do about that disparity?
5: Well, he responds by saying he made economic efforts. He persuaded supermarkets to move into poor areas so there weren't food deserts. He extended public transport out to one of the most deprived parts of the south of Chicago. But... His critics, especially African-Americans, say that he didn't do enough.
1: So today, Chicago will elect a new mayor. Who do you think is, is most likely to take Mr. Emanuel's place? So today, we're going to see 14 candidates
5: trying to replace Mr. Emanuel as mayor of Chicago. I think it's going to be a mess. I think there's one name, Bill Daly, who could stand out from the rest because he's famous. He's the son and the brother of two other mayors, notorious mayors in Chicago's past uh, but we'll probably see a runoff election with him up against maybe Tony Preckwinkle, Susanna Mendoza. Names that really mean nothing to people outside of Chicago. Uh, one commentator I spoke to called Rahm Emanuel a heat-seeking missile. Well, of all the candidates standing out to replace him this time, none of them could be called that. They're quiet, they're uninspiring really in comparison. And I think they're all playing a fairly low-key sort of political game.
1: So of what Mr. Emanuel has uh, accomplished and perhaps even the, the way he's gone about it, does that offer lessons for other big cities in, in America or, or indeed beyond?
5: He would say there is a lesson for others to follow and that's get the economy right. If you can come in and say, I'll fix the finances and the economy as best as I can, then you'll have the resources to deal with the other things. There's something convincing there. On style, he's a big man. He's, he's colourful, he's bright, he, he attracts attention, and that brings attention to the city. So he would offer lessons for others to follow, but when he claims he's dealt with everything, take those claims with
1: a pinch of salt. Adam, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.
0: Minister <laughs> Earlier
1: this month, Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orbán gave his annual speech to the country.
0: Mr. Orbán, in his State of the Nation speech, talked about his usual pet peeves.
1: Rajna Schanberg, our Europe economics correspondent, was following the speech.
0: He had a go at George Soros. He had to go at the European Union, and he had to go at migrants. But towards the end of that speech, he also talked about why women should have more children.
1: Raja, that seems an odd thing to bring in uh, to a speech of, of this sort. Why is Mr. Orban so interested in babies?
0: Well, Hungarian population is falling. It's expected to fall by about a third by the end of this century. Obviously, because Mr. Orban does not like immigrants, immigration is out of the question. And women are having fewer children. Back in 1960, they were having two children on average. By 2016, they were having 1.5. Mr. Orban wants to make sure that women have more children so that the population is growing again.
1: And is that a sort of an unusual difficulty for for Hungary? I mean, is that in line with its neighbors?
0: Populations are shrinking across Central and Eastern Europe. It's projected by the United Nations to fall even faster in Poland, but it's projected to fall in the Czech Republic and Slovakia as well.
1: Right. So what are the policies that he's suggesting to, to, to raise that rate?
0: Well, there were a number of them. For example, he promised that women with more than four children would never have to pay income tax in their working lives. He's also offered cheap loans for couples wanting to buy houses, cheap loans for families who want to buy larger cars. And he's also promised more childcare places and nurseries.
1: Right. So making things easier for people who want to have kids, but also for people who have kids. What about Mr. Orban himself? How many kids has he got?
0: He certainly practices what he preaches. He's got five children.
1: Right. Um, All of this, though, sounds expensive.
0: It's reasonably big. It's 0.3% of GDP, half a billion dollars.
1: So all told, and and with the prices that come with it, do you you think it will work? Will there be more Hungarian babies?
0: The first thing to say is that we don't have a huge amount of detail about these policies. But I'm not sure they're going to work. Hungary's already been a really big spender on family benefits, but the birth rate really hasn't budged in the past few years. And according to experts... Increasing childcare is proven to encourage couples to have more children. But it's not clear that the other measures will have much of an impact. In fact, economists are more worried that it will help to stoke the economy that's close to overheating rather than encouraging people to have children.
1: Which cannot have escaped the notice of, of Hungarian economists as well, right? Is there, is there another motivation at work here?
0: Some of these benefits are going to accrue to families who already have children. And so it's possible that this is a SOP to shore up Mr. Orban's popularity.
1: Okay, so if we were going to tackle then the the, the question in hand and actually get population growth up in Hungary, what to do if this wouldn't work?
0: A really obvious solution would be to let migrants in. It would bring in tax revenues. It would provide an immediate boost to the workforce. But it seems like Mr. Orban is not going to give in on that one.
1: Roshna, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jason. That's all for this episode of The Intelligence. You can subscribe to The Economist at economist.com slash radio offer. 12 issues for $12 or £12. See you back here tomorrow.